The Holy Gospel according to John, the 11th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were in the house with her, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My sermon text for this morning is indeed the Gospel lesson, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. They have been read in your hearing. My sermon title for today is from verse number 44. Unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Once again, this Lenten season, we have another fantastic story before us. Much like chapter 4's Samaritan Woman by the Well and chapter 9's The Man Born Blind, Chapter 11's The Raising of Lazarus is unique to John's Gospel and remarkably found nowhere else in the other three, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Today's account is the crowning miracle of John's Gospel, the last of Jesus' seven great signs that he performs herein, and provocatively the one which precipitates his own death. In the three so-called synoptic Gospels, simply meaning similar, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is Jesus' cleansing of the temple during the last week of his life in Jerusalem which offends the religious leaders and the powers that be and causes them to begin plotting to kill him. But in John's gospel, Jesus cleansed Jerusalem's temple in the beginning of his ministry some three years earlier back in chapter 2, and it is, rather, this raising of Lazarus from the dead, again not even mentioned in the other three gospels, which constitutes the final straw and results in the authorities seeking to end his life. Just eight verses further from where we stopped reading today, Scripture records, so from that day on, they plan to put Jesus to death. For John's gospel to portray Jesus in such high and lofty ways, emphasizing his divine pre-existent nature, often over and above his human nature, which the other three gospels highlight, John still on occasion portrays Jesus in very human terms, showing his frailty, his vulnerability in ways that even the synoptic gospels do not. One of the more tender examples of this is found in verse 3. When Jesus receives the news, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They don't even see, they don't even say, rather, Lazarus is ill. But he whom you love is ill. We've never even heard of Lazarus before. We only hear the name in these first two verses. Back in Luke chapter 10, when we were introduced briefly to the family and home of Martha and Mary, there is no mention of a Lazarus. 
So as this story opens, it is arresting, I would propose, that no other details are furnished. We don't know if Lazarus had a wife or children. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know his social or financial status. We don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy or in between. All we know of him is that Jesus loves him. I wonder if all that other stuff is left out because it doesn't matter. At least not in this context of a life-threatening emergency. What if the same applies to you, my friends? That in the midst of the swirls of your life, Jesus loves you. That in the midst of everything else that we pay attention to and the things that consume our every waking hour, that ultimately what matters is that, Lord, he or she whom you love is ill. They are not well. They need you. That sentiment is repeated in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And again in verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Isn't it amazing, my friends, that the one who created the world can fall in love with his creatures? That the divine, preexistent, logos word of God, who said, In the beginning, let there be light, untold generations earlier, can be said to love one out of the billions and billions of families that he has created. That the same one who hung the stars in the heavens and directs the entire course of history can truthfully and accurately be said to love poor, humble, and simple Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and indeed you and me. Jesus loved them. Much like in last week's gospel, the man born blind in chapter 9, Jesus sees not blame, but purpose and opportunity in this unfortunate predicament. He comments in verse 4, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So again, what does it mean to see in the pain and suffering of our present dilemma God's glory? An opportunity for the Son of God to be glorified through present painful circumstances. Jesus is always reframing our pain and suffering even as we mysteriously and unfortunately have to experience it and go through it. Verses 5 and 6 are intriguing to say the least, aren't they? Accordingly, though Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Say what? Normally when you hear that someone you love is suffering, you drop everything and rush to be by their side as quickly as possible. You don't purposefully delay and lollygag wherever you are. Jesus, for some reason, is not rushed. Even when we ardently wish he would hurry up. How many times have you desperately needed him on the spot? Only for him to show up later. A gospel hymn entitled, He's an On-Time God, acknowledges the uncomfortable truth. He may not come when you want Him, but He's always right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. By the time Jesus does show up, He has presumably earned the ire of these two sisters whom He loves. 
In verse 21, Martha, who goes out to meet him, says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Similarly, in verse 32, Mary, who doesn't go out to meet him until bidden later, remarks, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. At least they have the guts to say it. Most of us just think it. How many times have you experienced deep, troubling loss and thought, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened? How many times have you experienced betrayal, infidelity, or simply a failed relationship despite your own faithfulness and best efforts and felt, Lord, if you had been there, it would not have occurred? How many times, and it need not be many, have you been in deep pain, anguish, or depression over some event, some occurrence, some abuse, assault, grievous loss, or untimely death, and secretly harbored in your heart, Lord, you could have been there, but you weren't. You should have been there, but you weren't. And because of your absence, Lord, disaster struck, irreparable harm has been done, and now my life will never be the same again. So Mary and Martha could be considered in this brief utterance the patron saints of bitterness and resentment, a simmering, foster, festering feeling of anger and indignation towards having been dealt a hand so patently unfair. And like Job, having had God's hedge of protection removed from around you, which enabled demonic intrusion. Lord, if you had been here, tragedy would have been averted. It has been noted that Jesus responds to Martha with theology and to Mary with love and compassion, though these things are by no means mutually exclusive. Jesus and Martha, you see, go back and forth theologically, that is, on matters of belief, in verses 22 through 27, before Jesus concludes the exchange with one of his seven great I am statements from this gospel. In this case, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Jesus and Mary engage in no such theological back and forth. Rather, three times in the next six verses, his response, his reaction is emotional. And very poignant indeed. In verse 33, Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit. And deeply moved. In verse 35, in the older translation, the shortest version, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Subject, verb, that's it. Jesus wept. And finally, in verse 38, as he approaches the tomb, Jesus is again greatly disturbed. The famous philosopher Aristotle postulated hundreds of years before Christ that God was the unmoved mover by which he meant the creator who set everything else in motion. But God in human flesh here, Jesus Christ, is far from an unmoved mover in an emotional sense. He is deeply moved by the pain and the agony that is death. And I believe that as he stands outside your own personal tomb this morning, the reaction is the same. God is not disinterested in your pain, my friends. God is not dispassionate. He is not aloof or stoic as it concerns your particular anguish and dilemma. 
I believe God is greatly disturbed in spirit. I believe He is deeply moved, and yea, even that He weeps, and particularly for those things that have been buried undisturbed in your own personal tomb ever since your youth. Jesus' prayer in verses 41 and 42 is surprising. You would think He would pray for Lazarus and for a miracle, but He does neither. Instead, he prays not for Lazarus, but for the surrounding crowd. Not for a miracle, but for faith. Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. He prays not for the resurrection of Lazarus, but for faith on the part of onlookers. The immortal cry erupts from Jesus' lips in verse 43, Lazarus, come out! This is a concrete, tangible demonstration of the sweet, sentimental expression found one chapter earlier in Jesus' discourse on the Good Shepherd. The sheep hear His voice, Jesus says therein. He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. That sounds sweet and sentimental to us. Oh, He calls us by name and He leads us out. But when you are dead and in a tomb, this is far from saccharine, my brothers and sisters. Lazarus, come out. The sheep hear His voice. He calls His own by name. In verse 28, Martha tells Mary, the teacher is here and He is calling for you. It's enough to bring tears to your eyes, isn't it? Jesus is here and He is calling for you. The sheep hear His voice. He calls them by name and He leads them out. Mary heard her name and she came out. Lazarus heard His name and He came out. And both of them not only heard their names but recognized the voice and knew who was calling them. What would it be like, my friends, to die and live again? To lose all consciousness for four days and then regain it? To have your eyes closed and then opened? To have your tomb sealed off and then have the stone rolled away? And have it all occur because you heard your name and recognized the voice. In essence, that's what happens in baptism, at least according to Romans chapter 6. But it happens many, many times in ways both great and small after that during the remainder of our lives. Lazarus, come out. Make no mistake about it. This is a powerfully impossible act going on here. This is a reversal from death to life. This is a moment that cannot be replicated except through a move of the Holy Spirit Himself. Lazarus is called from darkness to light, from death to life, from a sealed tomb to a spring pasture. And make no mistake about it, Jesus does not go into His tomb and bless it. Jesus doesn't enter the place of death and make it nicer, more suitable, dress it up, spruce it up, and tidy it up. He doesn't go to the abode of the dead and do a tomb blessing. 
No, He calls you out of the tomb. He calls you out of the tomb of despair and despondency. He calls you out of the tomb of guilt and shame. He calls you out of the tomb of victimization. Out of the tomb of being trapped by your past and not being able to see a different future. Out of the tomb of what was done to you determining the rest of your life. Out of the tomb of the unfair and inexcusable way you were treated continuing to affect subconsciously how you think of yourself, this world, and even God Himself. He starts the heart of life pumping again. He starts the arteries and veins of faith circulating again. The lungs of possibility expanding and contracting again. The brain waves of hope and joy registering again. His breath enters you. His spirit enters you. His life enters you. And you may gasp, gulping for air because you or parts of you have been dead for quite some time. But He is calling your name today. He is calling you by name this Lenten season. He is calling you by name this very morning, March 29th, 2020. And He is not tidying up, blessing, and making your unhealthy, dysfunctional stuff nicer, more presentable, and more palatable. No, He is calling you out. He is resurrecting you. He is doing nothing short of raising you to a new life of possibilities and even giving you a new birth. And He is calling you out of not only the more obvious manifestations of death, but he is also calling you out of the most subtle, overlooked aspect of death there is. A shallow, superficial life focused solely on bettering self, the accumulation of more money, more prestige, and more status to purchase more stuff and go on more and better vacations. He is calling you out to life more abundantly, which is a life more aware of the world's suffering and more concretely reaching out to it in a spirit of service to help alleviate the pain of those Scripture calls the least of these among us. He is, in essence, waking you out of the dreamlike fog of self-orientation to the divine call to live a life other-oriented, a life of selfless service to others. All of which leads us to Jesus' command or instruction to the assembled crowds who have just beheld this dead man stumble out into new life, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Unbind him and let him go. Lazarus is raised, but still constricted. <laughs> he is resurrected but he's still encumbered. Brain, heart, lungs now functioning, but physical steps halting at best. Jesus commands us, the crowds, the onlookers, to take off the binding strips of cloth that are the trappings and the remainder of death. So let's disentangle ourselves, everyone else in here and watching online this morning. Let's disentangle everybody we know and everyone we encounter of all that prohibits our free and unhindered movement in our new and abundant life. All jealousy and envy, all bearing of grudges and unforgiveness, all gossip and resentment, all belittling and humiliation, all withholding of blessing, all concern with the period all judgmentalism, all self-righteousness, whoever him is, whether yourself or somebody you know or both, unbind him.
and let him go. Come out. Come out. Unbind him and let him go. Amen.